Good morning, Lighthouse. My notes says get their attention somehow. I don't know. Today is called Philip the Evangelist. And I want to tell you a story of when I was in eighth grade. My eighth grade summer going into high school, I was joining the cross country team for the first time into high school. And I first day I meet all of these kids. I meet all of these runners. And um, there's two juniors, two seniors in this, in this pack, and we're starting cross-country. Cross-country is one of those sports where you don't really talk about it. You just start running, and that's what we were doing, and I, I have to back up a little bit. This summer, I was, I was kind of on fire for God. I had gone to a couple of youth camps. I was really ready to do something. I didn't know exactly what that would look like, but I was ready. Day one, I meet these guys, juniors and seniors. They're a lot older than me. And I it just in me to want to ask them about God. I really want to ask them about church. I really want to say anything about God, anything about Jesus. And in my own head, I'm fighting myself this whole run. I'm like, I, don't, I just barely met these guys, right? It can't be right now. Like, this can't be for right now. Um, and then I didn't. That's the story. That's why it's called Philip the Evangelist, not Josh the Evangelist. Because I promise you, Philip's story is actually a lot more exciting. Um, I mean, I'm talking baptism. I'm talking teleportation. Uh, teleportation's kind of the big one, actually. So before we read, so it's Acts chapter 8. Find a Bible around you. I'm going to be reading the whole story and it's going to be a lot easier to engage with if you can read along as I go. Acts chapter 8, starting at verse 26. I'm going to tell you what matters in this lead up. Because we've been doing all kinds of sermons on Acts. If you're confused, go watch those sermons. They're great. But there are two Philips in the New Testament. Um, one Philip is a disciple of Jesus, one of the twelve. Today, we're talking about the other one. Okay? That's simple. Philip is seen in three different chapters, Acts chapter 6, 8, and 21. Chapter 21 is when he gets his title, Philip the Evangelist. Chapter 8, where we are today, is why he gets that title. And we're going to find out. So the one thing you really have to know is where Philip currently is. Uh, earlier in chapter 8, it says we find him in Samaria. In the words of Pastor Jeff... Going to Samaria was like going to North Hollywood to preach the gospel. Uh, it's out there, and the people are the same, right? But follow along as we get into the story of Philip and see what happens to Philip. So starting in verse 26 of chapter 8. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch an important official in charge of the treasury of the Kandike, which means queen of Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. On his way home was sitting in his chariot reading from the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come and sit with him. 
This passage of this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was on. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in my way of being baptized? Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. The eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they were out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again. But he went on his way rejoicing nonetheless. Philip, however, appeared in Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he eventually reached Caesarea. That is the story. Um, I'm only going to read it two more times. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but can we, let's just talk about it right now. Verse 39, where, what happened in verse 39? Suddenly, the Spirit of the Lord took Philip away. That is crazy. Uh, not to go full Star Trek on you guys, but the city that he ends up in, Azotus, is the ancient Philistine city called Ashdod. It's 35 miles away from Jerusalem, and he's just there like that. No questions asked. It's just one of those awesome miracles we get to see in a very short sentence. And you're like, what? I want to hear more about that. Um, but today, I really want to focus on the two characters of the story, Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch. So Philip was asked first in verse 26 to go. Now, go has three implications we're going to look at. Go means you're leaving somewhere. It means you're going to somewhere new, and it ultimately requires action. Philip was told to go, moving out of Samaria. So let's talk about Samaria. Earlier in the verses in this chapter, we see Samaria and what is taking place. In verse 6, it says that crowds were listening to Philip. Verse 7, it says Philip was casting out demons, healing the paralyzed. There was miracles. In verse 8, it says there's joy in that city. In verse 25, it says Peter and John were also preaching in Samaritan villages surrounding Samaria. It's not just the heart of the city being blessed, being preached at. It's all of the surrounding villages as well. It's something of a revival happening in Samaria. A lot of people are hearing the gospel of Jesus. That's a really good thing, in case you didn't know. But see, Samaria, uh, it's, it wasn't exactly revival, because Samaria was experiencing God for the first time. Revival is something where, something that once had the power, once had the spirit of God, and is no longer there. Samaria is different. Samaria has never had that power. It doesn't need to be revived. It was never there. So technically, this is more of a spiritual awakening, a new dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. Man, that's a word right there. Because perhaps some of you think we need revival, right? Some of us like, I could use revival, amen? The Church of America could probably use a viva, revival, right? The globe as a whole, the Church of God could probably use revival, right? But that's not what God's saying here. God's saying, no. 
You're going to be the cause of a spiritual awakening in places where the Spirit of God has never been, right? You're going to be the ones to cast out the demonic spirit and replace it with the Holy Spirit somewhere it's never been, kind of like North Hollywood, kind of like Samaria is what God is saying, and God's saying that on us. We're going to take it to places, to people, to things that have never heard the Spirit of God. Amen? Man, that'll preach right there. If you need a spiritual awakening right now, oh, I pray that the Holy Spirit overwhelm you with his presence right now, right here. Not at the end, not when I make some fancy thing with the keyboard playing right now, right here. If you're listening in your home, in the live stream right there where you are, God will meet you and shake you up like never before. It's time to preach. Where was I? Okay, Philip, Phil, yeah, Samaria, okay. Philip was leaving Samaria. By all means, he was comfortable here. If, if anything, he was a pretty heavy hitter in the Samaria. He was probably very popular. He's the one casting out demons. He's the one they're listening to. He's kind of like the main preacher, and God's telling him, yeah, leave that. It's comfortable, right? He's telling us to leave our comfort zone our comfortability, our area of safety and comfort. And, oh, it feels good here. Oh, but people love me here. And he's saying, go, go. That's amazing. That's, a, that's, a, that's something for someone. <laughs> um, but we're going to look at where he goes to. Where is he going towards? It just says the desert, literally to nothing. Go south to the desert road, the deserted road, the road no one goes down. No itinerary plan. How many of you guys use a calendar, right? Hopefully everyone. Um, no itinerary plan was dealt. Uh, God didn't lay a list of the you know, table of contents of what Philip's next journey was going to be. Some of us are waiting too much for an itinerary plan. God didn't say how. He said go. God didn't say why. He said go. He didn't say to Philip, hey, you're going to go along this road. You're going to run up to this chariot. You're going to catch the chariot by running. You see, and Philip goes, what? Run up to a chariot? Yeah, and then I'm going to take you, and you won't know what happened, but you're going to end up in Azotus 35 miles away. He goes, what? That wasn't on the itinerary, God. There was no itinerary. It's just God saying go to move with me. Obey my words. Obedience. And let's just assume Philip was a real human, like most of us, and like, I just picture it, like, Lord knows I don't want to go walk out to the desert road of Blythe, right? <laughs> um, De Death Valley doesn't sound very inviting to go for a walk. Uh, that's kind of the equivalent of what God's telling him to go, because he doesn't say a city, he just says a road. It's just a path. There's nothing there. People die on that road. It gets hot. If you don't have supplies, you're not going to last. And that's where God was sending him. That's remarkable to think about it like that. So I formulated the excuses that Philip could have made, uh, putting myself in his place, right? Philip could have easily said, not now. No, there's something good happening in Samaria. There's a spiritual awakening. People are finding God for the first time. Not now. He could have easily said, not there. Not on that road. No, thank you. Tell me to go to a city, sure. Tell me to go to a nice watering hole, I'm in. But not that desert city and not me. Those are the three. Not now, not there, and not me. 
not the time, place, or the person. How many of those excuses start to sound a little more familiar to us, right? When God says something, you know, oh, that's not for me. That's got to be someone else. And he says something to you, and you go, well, not here. Uh, it's probably not here. And it's probably not now. I can wait. I can easily wait. I'll wait. Somebody else will do it. I'll wait. Not here. Not now. Not me. <laughs> that's so easy to get there. Look, if, if you relate to the excuses more than to Philip's obedience, something's got to change. If you relate to the excuses more than the obedience, something needs to change, period. You either need to come to Jesus or you need to start talking about Jesus. There's no, there's no other options there. If you have the knowledge, say, say you think, well, I don't know how to save. I don't know what to say. If you have the knowledge of how to be saved, you have all the knowledge you need to help others. That's all. That's all it is. Okay, we're almost done with verse 26. <laughs> but the third motive of go is requiring action. It's not the book of sitting, right? It says acts. It's not the book of comfiness. It's not the book of self-reflection. Uh, it's the book of actions. It's a verb. So we look at the go. Leave where you are. Go to something new. Go make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Great Commission. Philip is living out the Great Commission. Later on in verse 40, you see it say that he went on continuing to preach the gospel to every town until he reached Caesarea. Every single town he went to, evangelizing, making disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He left Samaria where there was a lot of people and he went after and ended up finding this one man on the road. So let's talk about the Ethiopian. The Ethiopian eunuch was a man of wealth, an aide to the queen, a high-ranking official. To give you a sense of wealth this man had, there was... Roughly, depending on where you go in ancient Ethiopia to Jerusalem, is anywhere from 1,200 to 1,500 miles away. A trip that big in this time would take a lot of resources. One, he's on a chariot that already screams big bucks. Two, to make this kind of journey, he has to have an entourage of people, supplies, foods, waters to last both there and back, right? He's a man of wealth. He's someone important. And yet, we don't get his name. It's not important to this story. It's not important to our stories here. But what we do get is a description, Ethiopian eunuch. In Acts 1.8 says, You will be my witnesses to all of Judea, Samaria, Jerusalem, and to the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth in this Israel-Jerusalem day uh, felt like Ethiopia. Northern Africa, those parts of the known world to them, was the edges. And when Philip saw an Ethiopian eunuch riding out, he probably thought, prophecy fulfilled. That's why I'm here. That's where I'm going. So you don't know the why when God says go. But eventually you're going to get some confirmations. And eventually you're going to see the things you need to see in order for that confirmation to come true. But first you've got to go. Where was he coming from? Verse 27, it says that he had gone to Jerusalem to worship. 
So the eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Much like all of you here have come here to worship, to hear the God, the gospel. But here we see him in a chariot, uh, almost confused, like he didn't pick it up, like he didn't get it all, right? He had hoped to find God in Jerusalem, but it seems like he didn't. It seems like it didn't really stick. And spiritually, he was hungry. He wanted it. He literally had scripture. He had food in his hands, and he still didn't get it. That's a word for someone right there. Because I think a lot of us will show up, right? The eunuch is proof that simply showing up isn't enough. Oh, man. You guys are quiet now. Like, that's right. No one, no one is off limits today, okay? <laughs> Too many Christians only ever show up. You walk out that door, never changed, never believing truly what it takes to grab the Bible and walk with it and share the word of God. Philip went to every town preaching all the way up until Caesarea. That is an amazing thing. And we simply show up, spoon-fed the gospel. I got my fix. I checked my box. I can go take a nap and do nothing with it now. Are you kidding me? This is the world. This is what we live for. This is who we are. Pastor Jeff, we die and breathe this out. This is why we come. This is who Jesus is. Somebody needs this. And I hope it's every single one of you. <laughs> that wasn't rhetorical. I know you all need it. I know that God, this isn't written here. You need this. God is calling you to go. God is calling you to get off your seats and go. Right? Don't just leave now. Don't leave yet. Hang on a sec. Some of you are antsy. Pull it back. Let's get the reins back on this chariot. Because I know, I know that only showing up to church and not going, I know that's not for us, right? That's someone else. So We are called like Philip to guide and teach people to Christ. We're called to lead them by Scripture. So we look at the scripture. What did the Ethiopian eunuch have? He had scripture. And let me be clear here. The scripture in this time was not the Declaration of Independence souvenir kit you can buy. It was not for sale. This guy has, he's rich, rich. <laughs> he's big bucks, chariot, entourage, food, supplies, the whole script. And him reading from Isaiah Gives, leads me very easily to believe it wasn't just the Pentateuch, which is the most common of the time. It's probably a very large sum of the whole Testament or the whole Testament itself. And that is a very pricey penny to pay for something that's not actually for sale. Imagine someone coming up to you for, to buy your house. You're like, well, my house isn't for sale. He's like, well, what if I give you this? And you go, yeah, it is for sale now. Money talks. Now, Philip left the spiritual awakening to seek this one. And I can't help but parallel what Jesus said about the parable of the lost sheep. Because in Luke 15, verse 4, Jesus says, And you know that a shepherd who has a hundred sheep and loses one, does he not go and leave the sheep in open country to find the one until he finds it? And he rejoices when he finds it. And he says, Let me tell you that truly, there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 who do not need to repent. Guys, he left Samaria 
a whole city full of vibrant spiritual awakening, amazing movements of God to find, to end up finding the one on the desert road. And we don't know for certain what happened this, with this man. He doesn't even have a name. But you, can, you better believe he's changed. And you better believe that the gospel of Christ was probably spread to the ends of the earth via this man. So you never know when God's tugging on your heart to tug and say, what do you know about Jesus? What do you know about church? Where do you go? You should probably do it. You don't know what branch you're pulling. You don't know what fruit is hanging on that branch. You don't know what connections they might have. And this isn't the sheep going after the one. It's not just a metaphor. It's, it's a promise. God is seeking the one. God is seeking the one who is lost, the one who doesn't know where to go, the one who feels alone. And some of us might feel alone. Some of us might feel like you're the one, and the 99 is, is really far from you. And your call today for you is to come home, come back. Look, if you haven't heard at least one application yet, then you better adjust your hearing aids and buckle up. We're going to take a look at what the eunuch is reading and what Philip explains to him. In verse 32 of the same chapter, chapter 8 of Acts, it says, and it's a quote from Isaiah 53 in the Old Testament, but it says this, He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before his shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. I mean, this is a great verse to be reading um, if you're Philip, an evangelist. Because he easily could have been stuck somewhere in the book of Numbers in the genealogies list, right? He could have easily been somewhere slightly more difficult to save his soul uh, than this verse. This verse, silver platter, grand slam of a pitch. Oh my gosh, easy money, right? This guy is stuck. He's like, I don't know what to do. I'm really hungry for God. This is the verse I'm stuck on. You're like, oh yeah, okay, I got this. I know how to swing a bat, um, Verse 35, it says, then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told the good news about Jesus. Began with that scripture. We don't get the end. We do get the end, kind of. He ended up being baptized, right? But we don't get the chunk of Bible study that happens because there's a lot of things that could have happened. There's a lot of pathways that could have gone down. There's a lot of conversation that could have happened there. And Philip had to make an argument for Jesus only using Old Testament scripture. If some of you think the Old Testament God is different than the New Testament God, you're mistaken. Jesus is all over the Old Testament. He's all over the place. You have to find him. You have to seek him. See here in the verses, it's quoting the Old Testament. He was led like a lamb for slaughter. And this kind of... uh, this began his conversation, and he asked questions. Guys, it, it, looks like a, it looks like a conversation. Some of you think, what does spreading the gospel look like? It looks like a conversation. Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch, they were, he was asking questions. What does this scripture mean? Well, what does that mean? And Philip was talking to him. Ask questions and listen to those around you. Listen to the ones who are struggling, who need the help, who need the answers. It's a conversation, that's it. Don't 
Don't over-spiritualize anything that doesn't need to be over-spiritualized. The gospel of truth will speak for itself. Amen? So this excites my imagination because the possibilities Philip could have used. You see, Philip would have given him kind of like first-hand knowledge of what Jesus was doing, but he would have then had to back it up with Old Testament scriptures. Like, for instance, Isaiah 53, chapter 12, just a little bit later on in the verse that he was stuck with, it says, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. And then perhaps uh, the eunuch was a little, well, what do you mean by intercession? What does that all mean? And Philip would say, well, intercede on behalf of our sin. Well, let's take a look at sin. Genesis chapter 3 is when sin first entered the world. That leaves two chapters of absolute perfect world. Verse, or Genesis 1 and 2 is where we were made to be with God. Yeah? We were made to be with him, in communion with him. In chapter 3, sin enters the world. And what happens when you have sin is that chapter 1 and 2 is over there. And three is over here. And now this is our new life because sin separates us from God. Sin separates us from God. That's all it is. Sin is separating us from God. And God hates sin. He hates sin because he wants to be with you. He wants to love you. He wants to tell you to go and for you to be obedient to him. But sin is just got us stuck over there. It's just got us stuck And how much does he hate sin? A lot of Old Testament people will say, man, sin, there's a lot of weird stuff in the Old Testament. God sounds kind of mean in some sections. And perhaps Philip went into this part, right? He could have said in Ezekiel 22, he could have showed him this, where God is talking against Jerusalem and their sins. And he says in 21, I will gather you and I will blow on you with my fiery wrath and you will be melted inside her as silver is melted in a furnace so you will be melted inside her and you will know that I the Lord have poured my wrath on you. And the eunuch was like, wait, 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 wait. That feels like the very angry God against a lot of people. That doesn't feel right. I don't know if that's the truth. Are you sure that's the truth? That's the God who, are you sure? And perhaps Philip says, well, the hatred and the fiery anger isn't on the people here. It's because the sin is separating them from God. It's against the sin, the wrath that God has to pour out, that needs to pour out, because he is holy. He is no sin. And the wrath that requires, like, to to, to abolish sin is that fiery wrath pouring out of. And so then Philip would go, look, I'll prove it to you. In the same chapter in Ezekiel 22, verse 30, God says this. I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. But I found no one. You see that? It says, stand before me in the gap. God is looking for someone to stand in between the perfect world with him and sin on the other side. Imagine that. And Philip would say, do you see it yet? Do you see it all coming together? Do you guys see it yet? Are we here still? 
God is looking for someone to stand in the gap, but there wasn't anyone on earth who could. No one is blameless. No one is made sinless. So he sent his holy, perfect son, Jesus Christ. Right? This is just basic gospel message. And I say basic because it's so powerful and it's the only message you ever need to preach. If you, if you hear anything from this pulpit, it is this message. So just because it's basic doesn't mean it's not important. It is the most important. It is the anchor. It's why we do what we do. It's why we are here. Jesus' Jesus's intercession meant standing in the gap between sin and God's righteous judgment. Amen? That's how he was the suffering servant in Isaiah 53, because he died on our behalf. Amen? And then Philip would might explain a little later on the Old Testament chapters, right? Every rule, every command, every crazy little ritual and tradition relating to the atonement of sin was now made clean, now made satisfied because every T was crossed, every I was dotted when Jesus died as our lamb sacrifice on that cross, amen? That is the gospel right there. That is amazing. Jesus, the son of God, took on the sins of the world in that regard. He took on the sins against God's fiery wrath that we just read about. He took on God's wrath for us. That's why we come. That's why we return. That's why we are here. Is this not, is this, anyone else excited here? Is this not the God we believe in? Is this not why we go here? Is this not the story we trust? Is this not the best thing we could be talking about today? And the eunuch was excited too. He says, what can I do? What, what, can I, what, what else? If this is what this means, then I, I want it. How do I believe? And Philip would have been like, well, well, let's think about it. Jesus, at the start of his ministry, was baptized in the Jordan. And not too long ago, uh, the upper room of believers was, were then baptized with the Holy Spirit. Thus, afterwards... The power's here. And the eunuch would say, well, explain baptizing. What does that mean? Where, where is that in the scripture? Where can I read that? And Philip could have gone down a few different paths, but I think one that is a very good case is actually the story in Exodus of Moses. You remember Moses split the Red Sea. Remember that he led the people of Israel to the other side of the Red Sea. And what happened when the enemy, when, when uh, Egypt... And all of the Pharaoh's people were coming in. They got washed out. He says, that is how Jesus wants us to be baptized. Because on the other side of the water is deliverance. On the other side of the water is freedom. On the other side of the water is the promised life of God like Genesis 1 and 2. It's almost perfect. On the other side of the water is where he wants you to be. And what happens in the water? The sin is washed away. Your old life is washed away. The enemy is washed away. Church, that's the call today, to go walk through to the other side, to live on the other side. The story compels us to change our lives. It compels me to ask all of you to change, to be, to accept God, to accept the message. And if you already have the message, then go. Spread, do, be obedient. Live on the other side of the water, the other side of the cross. Go in obedience where God wants you. Can I get the worship team to come on up?
I told you about the first run of my cross-country team in high school. And I said, not now. I just met these guys. Not now. A couple days later, we were running, and they were playing a game. It's called Drop the Freshman. Uh, it's a great game, my favorite one. It's a game you don't know uh, you're a part of until you get dropped from the group and they're running too fast for you. Drop the freshman. Um, we're running and we go and the pace slowly starts to quicken. This time there's a lot more of us. Um, it easily broke right into the group I had originally was with. And um, we get two juniors drop off and then I feel okay, I'm gonna push the pace. Like, forget it, they wanna play, I'll play too. I start going a little faster, and it's just me and this one senior, uh, Spencer. He's the guy who was third in state the previous year. He's a good runner. He's also like 18, right? He's a lot older than me. I'm going to be a freshman. And I'm hanging with him, and instead of thinking about how tired my legs were, or lungs, or how hot it was, I'm thinking about asking him about God. And I'm thinking about telling him about Jesus. And it's kind of like stirring in me just like it was before. And I was like, man, not here, not during this run, not here. A week later, we, we're going and it's a easy run day. And um, for whatever reason, no one was there except for me and Spencer. I'm like, all right. And I instantly knew why. I was like, this has to be it. This has to be it. And we start running together. It's just me and him. We're going easy. There's no drop the freshman today. Um, we're hanging out. We're talking. And the whole time, it felt more, it was more than a tug. It was a really, it was burning. It felt like it was on my tongue. Tell him about God. Maybe just ask him, what church do you go to? That can open up a conversation. What church do you go to? And like, well, I don't go to church. I'm like, okay, let's talk. Well, I go to this church sometimes. Okay, then let's talk. Well, I don't like church, I, uh, but I think God's cool. Okay, let's talk. That's a great question. It's a great question. I was like, okay, I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. And I thought, man, he's so much older than me. Oh, he's a senior. I, I, have, I have a long time. And I said, not me. Not me. There's no way. It's not me. It can't be me. My family and I went on vacation for about a week, and we got a phone call. Spencer had hung himself. Um, he's no longer here. And I can't help but think, maybe I could have saved him. I don't put the fault on me because there's a lot of things going on, but maybe if I just said something and that burning was real, that burning was real. I wanted to, I needed to, and I let the excuses get the best of me. team was in shambles. We cannot have excuses before us. If God's tugging on your heart, I implore you to do what you have to do to obey him. Do what you have to do. Can you all stand to your feet with me? There's three calls I'm going to say today. First, to be bold, be obedient. If you're hearing God, it's time, it's now right? We're going to bow our heads and close our eyes. And the first action I want is if this is the first time hearing the gospel of Jesus, I want you 
eyes closed, no one is going to look. I want you to raise your hand. Because I believe Jesus wants to save you. I believe this wants to happen. Go ahead, raise your hand high. It's okay. Keep it up. Keep it up. Keep it up. Thank you. Thank you. Two, if you want the empowerment, if you want the encounter, the life of obedience that Philip had, I want you to raise your hand. Eyes closed. You don't have to look around. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You can lower your hands. Let's keep our eyes closed. I'm just going to lead us into the salvation prayer. If you think you've prayed this prayer one too many times, just join join in with us to give confidence to those who haven't yet. Repeat after me. Dear God, I thank you for loving me, saving me from sin. And I know that you are the Son of God. I accept you into my heart, into my life. From this day forward, I live for you. Amen. Now I want to move into a time of response and what's gonna happen is we're actually gonna turn the live stream off. Uh, This is just gonna be us. It's just gonna be here, it's gonna be you and God. I want to invite one more thing is if anybody wants baptism, you feel like, yeah, I got God, I, I believe in him, I have Jesus. Just like the Ethiopian eunuch, they pulled the chariot over when they saw some water. And I, we have a baptism. We filled it up with water. There should be no reason why we can't do this here and right now. If you feel like you just prayed that prayer for the first time and you're, you're a little overwhelmed, you want to do it some other time, that's great. We have a bonfire Friday <laughs> at the beach. Come on over. But don't miss this moment. If God is tugging on you, like he was tugging on me, be bold. Be the one who steps out. We would love to baptize you here. We'll walk you through it and pray with you and everything we have. We have towels, shirts, we have it all here. Um, We want, I just cannot leave this message without inviting. I cannot leave this scripture here without doing this. Secondly, the empowerment. A lot of hands were raised. I'm going to ask you to be bold one more time. If you raised your hand, I want you to come to this altar. And I want to try to pray with as many as you can. As many as I can. While they sing a song of worship, I want you to come. Come on up. Come on up. If you want some empowerment, you want to be obedient, meaning God here is a step of faith. It's so much easier to come here than to go to the desert road like Philip. Start with that chorus. And I yeah.
light for the promise of